furthest away from the mic. Yeah. Because if I get too close, I've noticed I'm like. You hear so the popping, yeah. Yeah, it's super annoying. I mean, do you uh, have pop filters? I don't. There's this AI. Yeah. Um, software that he told me about that I can just put my audio in and it does everything for you. I oh, haven't wow. tried it yet, but no, that's definitely something to consider. The pop filters, I think, help. At least they have helped me quite a bit because I used to yeah. record music too. Uh, nothing, obviously, nothing like this. But yeah, I would, like recording um a little studio I had in my old house, and the pop filters has helped again correct for all those P's. Yeah. And uh, when I do like my voiceovers for my Instagram, I always just have like a pop filter I have when I record into my phone. Just, oh, okay. Yeah. So. What is that? Is it like a device that goes over your mouth? It's man. It's like a. It just looks like a screen, and you put okay. it over, but it blocks like the air that comes out when you make oh, the sounds. Oh, yeah. so it's okay. So I think I got it on my first mic that I used for this podcast. Yeah. It was like this big. And yeah. It was, yeah. It was exactly that. Screen. Yeah. I just kind of hold one in my hand and I record with it. Cause when I oh. record without it, dude, it, it, it gets annoying. You hear all the popping and cracking and that kind of thing. Yeah. I was just talking about that with Cal today. I'm like, dude, it's so annoying when I'm listening to my podcast yeah. um, and I hear fuck, this is so annoying. But, that yeah. will get rid of it for sure. Okay. But it's just weird, man, because I don't know, like, we're always our biggest critics when it comes to stuff like that. I can't no listen to my videos after I record them because I just uh, hate hearing my own voice. It's so cringy. It is cringy, but you just kind of have to just kind of go with it. You know what I mean? I know, dude. Yeah. So you do a lot of voiceovers for your videos. Where, like, why did you want to start making videos? Because this is pretty recent from yeah. what you've been doing, you know? Yeah. This this all got started basically last year. And to before I get into the voiceover part of things, just starting the page in general. Like yeah. I. I mean, you knew me from John Carroll. I was always in the gym. Everyone knew me from the gym. Yeah. Right? That's the one place where if you didn't know me from anywhere else, you knew me from Corbo. And uh, fitness has always been like a big part of my life, but I never saw it as like the thing in my life. You know what I mean? It was just something I did to be healthy, to feel good. Right. But it never occupied enough space in my life where I thought that this is what I want to really like make a business around or a career around. For mm -hmm. me, it was mostly like personal finance and investing. That's always been like my really big passion. And it only started to become more of a quote-unquote passion for me last year because I hurt myself. I huh. don't really know what happened, but it was around the ending of March or the middle of March. I just woke up one morning and couldn't move. I just my, – my back was in so much pain. Really? And uh, that kept me out the gym for about six weeks, and I went to physical therapy for another six weeks after that. Um, and I lost like 22 pounds and just really was feeling down on myself. And that was a point where I realized that I was taking my body for granted, you know, and I, you know, I'm not, not that I'm old, but I'm getting older and I want to at least know that I've made an attempt to do this because I posted workout videos all the time. I've always shared that with people, but I never like fully committed to starting like a fitness page and, 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 and really making that something I devote a lot of my time to. So I just woke up and said, you know what? I'm going to start an Instagram page and I'm going to post one video every day or not one video, but one piece of content every day. Yeah. I just don't care. I'm just going to post one thing every day, hold myself to that personal challenge and whatever happens, happens. Right. And going into your question about the voiceovers, like I, you never really know what works. Right. So you kind of just experiment in different formats, different things. And a lot of my friends were telling me, you know, dude, like you have such a good body, just like post yourself shirtless and you blow up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, A, I'm not really doing it for the purpose of blowing up, you know, like the, the main goal for me was just to share what I had learned over the years of training with people, because I know what the gym has done for me. Like I started off really skinny, really insecure, just not uh, confident in how I looked and who I was. 
And the gym totally changed my life, not just with the way I looked, but also how confident I was going into job interviews, how confident right. I was just existing as a human being. And uh, I wanted to share that with people in some way. And I didn't want my content to just be, hey, look at me, I'm, I have a good body. Like I wanted to see how I can give value. So I just did the voiceover one day because I thought, you know what, there's a lot of information I want to share in this workout. I could type it in the caption or I can just say it. So I just did the voiceover once. I hated the way I sounded like we talked about. It. I just <laughs> right. couldn't stand listening to it, but the video did well. And then, you know, me understanding a little bit about social media strategy and content strategy that you just double down on what works when it starts to work. Right. So I just continued to put out voiceovers for different workouts. And there was a point in time, a stretch from like maybe July to October where every voiceover I posted without fail would get two to 400,000 views. So it just kept on working for me. And it's kind of become the format that I think my followers connect with the best because they can see part of my personality. Um, but it's kind of have to get used to it. Like I watch your voiceovers and I, I, I think you're so better than mine. Dude, that's your your, your voice is so like calming and like, mm. I just want to sit there and be like soothed listening to Trevor talk about how to help my body move better. You know what I mean? And I don't feel like I have that because I have to be rushing through it sometimes, but people like it and that's, that's what works. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how the whole thing got going, man. That's so funny that you say that though about my videos because I look at your videos and I go, damn, I need to start emulating more of what he does because they do so <laughs> well. So it's so funny. We have these different perspectives of yeah. each other and you know, we look, especially in the creator space, we're always looking at each other for inspiration yeah. or motivation or just how to structure things. And that's one thing I'm glad you brought this up because that's one thing I've always respected about your page it's not like, dude, you're a great looking guy. Like you are a fitness model for sure. Like <laughs> this you, is, you are in the right space, but you also provide so much value. Yeah. You can hear it in your voice, the passion you have. And I think that so many people in fitness is it's done so much for them outside of the gym, yeah. not even just physically, but mentally, spiritually, 100%. 100%. you mentioned the confidence piece of it. I mean, that's what I love to do. And that's why I love to do the fitness videos, train in person, be able to coach people through, you know, how to make their body feel better. Yeah. It's so cool to see people transform their lives through something that you gain knowledge on. And when was that point? So you mentioned you were a skinny little kid. What age did you see like a magazine? Did you see a video where you're like, I want to do this? This is Oh man. Me. So it, it was a few things all around the same time. So I got in the gym, just like getting in the gym, lifting weights for the first time. Well, I mean, I play basketball, so like we would lift weights or basketball, but it wasn't yeah. anything, you know, it's not, not the same kind of training at all. It's more functional, but getting in the gym for aesthetics then, that started when I was around 16 or 17. And not that I was in the gym knowing what I was doing, but that was my motivation to get to the gym, yeah. right? And it really started because, you know, I'd been really skinny, insecure, not happy with how I looked, but like I just lived a fit right. And uh, there's this girl that <laughs> I really liked all throughout elementary school, all throughout high school. And then one day we were together at, I think it was either her house or one of our friends' houses at the party. And she told me, you know, Andre, you're so cute, but you're just too skinny. And I was no. like, Jesus That breaks Christ. my like, heart right now, man. Dude, it, it, like, it, bro, it, I, I was devastated. Because mm. it's like, I mean, it was just nice to be able to interact with her. But then for her to just tell me that, oh, you know, the reason why you and I can never be is because you're just so skinny, mm. you know, and. That, that hurt, and it started my mind working like, well, maybe I need to kind of make a change. And what I think really did it, and I don't like telling the story because I'm not proud of it, but it's just the truth. Yeah. Um, 
I was at a party one night and uh, there was this older guy, I have an older sister, he had dated her and they broke up and he got invited by one of my friend's older sisters to this party. And while we're there, he's just messing with me. He's like, oh, what's up, little bro? You know, I, I didn't even want to get into it, man. But he was just he was just picking on me, basically, right? Yeah. And this guy was about three to four years older than me, and you know, he was already working out, so he was he was huge. He probably had like thirty or forty pounds of me at that point in time. And I was just so angry. I was so enraged that he felt he could talk about my sister that way to me, and I just felt powerless to do anything about it. Because mm. as much as I'd want to fight this guy and just like shut him up for talking shit about my sister, I'm sorry, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, you can that, swear yeah. in here. Okay, yeah. Um, I must not want to like fuck this guy up for talking shit about my sister. Yeah. I knew that if I tried, I would just get my ass beat. Like that yeah. is just thinking logically. I can't yeah. do anything, you know? Yeah. And uh, I just felt so weak and vulnerable and powerless. And I never wanted to feel that way again. Mm. It just, it, I went home that night so angry and sad. Um, and that was when I was like, you know what? I got to get in the gym, not to go around fighting people, obviously. That's yeah. why I don't like to tell the story, but because um, I don't think you should train for that reason. But if I'm being honest, that was a big motivation for me to start too. Yeah. Just that feeling, I never wanted to have it again. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was in the gym. And then I went to John Carroll and I was in the gym a lot too. But I, I was always just focused on the training part of it. And over the years, I got better at that, man. But I made a lot of mistakes in like my first years. I feel a lot of time was wasted. Definitely. I wasn't getting stronger. I was putting on size very slowly. And it's all because I just wasn't eating. Mm. And uh, I think that probably cost me conservatively four to five years of progress. Just because I don't think in the entire time I had been working out from age 17, 18 to now, even forgetting the first few years where I didn't really know what I was doing in the gym at all from a training standpoint, just not fueling my body just cost me so much progress. I don't mm. think I was in a caloric surplus once. Wow. That entire time. Because I just never had a big appetite. You probably didn't even know what it was at the time. I either. had no idea. I didn't yeah. know I didn't know anything about macros. I don't know. And I thought it, I didn't need it, right? I yeah. thought, oh, if you just go to the gym and lift a bunch of weights, you'll get big, right? Yeah. And I was growing, I was getting bigger, like I my body was changing, I was I was transforming, but I wasn't really getting stronger. I wasn't growing as quickly as my time in the gym would you would expect it to. Right. It's because I would eat two meals a day. I would not eat breakfast because I didn't have to ten in the morning. I would eat a big lunch, eat a small dinner, and that was it. So 1,800, 2,000 calories, maybe 120 grams of protein. I'm 6'1", dude, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's nothing. Yeah. And it wasn't until that point in time last year when I hurt my back and I you know, decided to compete for the first time and I had to really think about nutrition and learn about it and study it and understand how to organize my macros for my goals at any specific point in time, what I should be eating, how much I should be eating. I have made so much progress in that time. And um, I think it's impossible to go from eating 2,000 calories a day to eating 3,000 calories a day and not grow. Yeah. And uh, that's why I tell people, like, you know, training is important. A lot of my page is about training, but nutrition is probably probably the most important thing. It's the variable that's going to impact your progress from month to month the most. Definitely. I completely agree with that. It's also, also the most complex piece of the puzzle. 100%. It's, it's so different for each individual. Like you mentioned, 120 grams for you, someone who's 6'1 and a bigger guy yeah. is nothing. But someone, you know, like Carly, my, my fiance, she's around 130 pounds. She's smaller. She's 5'2". She's a girl. 120 grams of protein is pretty good for yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. So it's all in context. And then getting into the, you know, question of gut health and oh, understanding yeah. how 
you know, carbohydrates react in your body and how many fats and the quality of fat. There's just so much to it, but I love that you found, Hey, I need to eat more to actually grow. And dude, I've noticed that even just looking at your page over the last year, you can see how much bigger you've gotten and the detail, like the, the discipline and the patience that you show allows you to not only grow but stay lean at the same time yeah 100 percent. and that's super you're super lucky with that because that's i mean that 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 so you can kind of control for that by being in a slight surplus having a higher protein macro split but honestly a lot of it's genetics right like right and and this is one thing that i feel people don't talk about enough in fitness yeah is the role that your genetics plays definitely like i am i'm naturally skinny so my body tends to hold less body fat Someone, okay, so just to give an example, right? Like I can be comfortable sitting at eight or 9% body fat. That doesn't put a lot of strain on my body. My body can, doesn't hold a lot of fat and it can function well if low body fat percentage. But someone who genetically not like me, if they get down to eight or 9% body fat, they are struggling. They have brain fog, difficulty focusing. They're hungry all the time. They're tired. You know, they have low sex drive, low libido, and they can't sustain that for a long period of time. I can. I'm genetically able to, but there's so many people that can't do that. And like with my clients, everybody wants to, to lean bulk if they're not doing a competition because nobody wants to like get big and bloated and then yeah. have to under eat. If you're not bodybuilding, there's really no reason to do that. Yeah. But even in bodybuilding, is it really the best strategy? Is it's the fastest, over-bulk? but I mean, best is a, is a very key word to use because it's not healthy. Yeah. But again, bodybuilding isn't healthy. It's, no. not, it's an extreme sport. And the, the notion that bodybuilding is something you do to be healthy is a complete lie, right? Yeah. Especially when you talk about these guys who are overeating, they're morbidly obese for part of the year, they're anorexic for other parts of the year, they're on steroids, that's obviously not healthy for you. So it's not healthy at all. Yeah. And, you know, I bodybuild now because I did well my first show, so I'm kind of making it a thing because I can, but like, yeah. that's not my whole life. And I'm not going to compromise my health and my well being. Just for the sake, I mean, it's like fun, but it's not going to dominate my life like that, right? Yeah. But to the point I was making, like, there are things you can do with your diet to put on lean mass and not have a disproportionate amount of the mass that you put on be fat. And right. that's just your ratio of carbs to, to protein, right? You can do that. But you're not going to be able to say that because I eat that way and I can get down to 8% body fat and be comfortable that the same will be true for you. You might only get to 12% and be comfortable, but that's a genetic limitation that you can't control for. And um, I try and let people, my clients especially, understand that because most you know, fitness influencers will never say that. They'll want no. you to believe that. You can look like me if you just do what I do right. without considering the fact that this guy might be a one in one million genetic freak. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm a one in one million, but I'm, I know I have good genetics and I'm right. not ashamed to, to admit that. Because I don't want to deceive people. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's very respectable. And like you mentioned, in our fitness space, there's so much pushing of supplements, of diet plans, of workout plans. And let's just be real about it. The better you look, the more clout you're going to get, the more people are going to see that and go, I want to look like that guy. Yep. So let's look at his supplement stack. Let's look at his training program. And let's follow that and emulate it. And maybe I can get close to that. But like you said everyone has a different genetic makeup. Everyone has different experiences, how they grew up relationship to food, I think is yeah, another 100%. big piece of it too. And you got to understand just cause I see someone on the internet and like, dude, I want to look like that. That's great. 
you're never going to look like that. You got to focus on becoming the best version of yourself and fostering those healthy habits. Like you were saying, you know, figuring out, you know, what a lean bulk looks like for you and figuring out what body fat percentage do you feel good at, right? Unless you're competing, there's no need to get down to, you know, six, seven, eight percent body fat if you feel like shit all the time. Exactly. Right? And it's cool. Don't get me wrong. Like I remember when I got super shredded after football, you know, I'm generally I'm I'm pretty opposite to you. So I hold on a lot of body fat. Mm-hmm. I've always been a generally bigger kid. So I wanted to have abs. Like that was the biggest thing. Yeah. Getting out of football. And I starved myself, dude. And I remember like all of the things you talked about, low energy, low libido, low sex, everything that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And like you said, someone like you, you can go that low and feel fine. But me, I, I didn't feel that way. So I think that's so important to talk about. And I love that you're talking about it and letting your clients know because it, it doesn't put this false reality in their head. 100%, of, yeah. Okay, if I follow this plan, you know, I'm going to get this way. No, you follow this plan. You are going to be a much healthier version of yourself and actually live up to your potential that you have. Instead of focusing on, I need to be to this point, this point. Exactly. The goal of being coached by me is not to look like me. Yeah. It's to have me use the knowledge that I have to help you become the best version of you, like you said. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure other coaches do this. It's not like I'm, I'm special, but every week I take in qualitative information from my clients, too. How are you feeling? How's your energy? How's your mood? I mean, I mean if they want to share it, like, how's your libido? Like, yeah. are, you, are you okay? Yeah. Because as much as I want to be able to see them losing weight, losing body fat, losing inches around their waist and their gut and growing their biceps, whatever, I want to know that what we're doing is comfortable for you and you could function in your life and be healthy because, again, if you're not bodybuilding, you don't want to live, act, eat, sleep like bodybuilders because that is an extreme sport that normal people should not be trying to emulate. And I try and make that very clear. And there are a lot of bodybuilding coaches who try and apply, again, I feel like I'm talking shit about people now, but there are a lot of body- You're not saying any names. I'm not saying any names, but because this is general. This is just a general problem. Yeah. They they take what they do for themselves in bodybuilding and apply it to non-bodybuilding clients. And I think that is just so unhealthy for, for the average person. So I tell all my clients, you are not going to be training that way if you work with me. That's what you want go to someone else. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, I want to also circle back to something you said that I just remembered about supplements, man. That is so, so true. People just pushing supplements. Like I'm sponsored by a supplement company. Yeah. When I was- Legion growing- is, sorry to interrupt, but I, I just bought some stuff from Legion. Yeah. That's, that's high quality supplements. And like, like we were talking about before we jumped on, that rush of pre-workout, dude, I still love it. So it's, it's I don't really want to talk good. shit about supplements because they're definitely, they have a place in training and diet, but go ahead. I'll let well, you. I'm, I'm not talking shit. Yeah. The reason why I wanted to bring this up is because Legion, if you go to their website, the top banner that's never that never moved says supplements, you don't need supplements to build muscle or burn fat, but the right ones can help. Mm-hmm. It's just honesty, transparency, the labels are transparent. And like there were, so there were, Five companies that I could have worked with at the time that decided to work at the company, right? Four that I reached out, four that reached out to me, one that I reached out to because I liked their products before. Um, but Legion just seemed like the better fit because of how like transparent they are, and they, they're not going to tell me to lie to my customers, right? Like, they're like, we don't care what you post, when you post, just like you know, help us make our sales and we're good. But the one thing we want you to always reiterate is our message that you don't need supplements to. They're not going to be the difference in your training. Yeah. And I, that, that resonated with me. Like there come, some, someone comes and still reach out to me and all I do is go to their page. I look at their marketing and if I can't align with that, I mean, wh- what's the point, right? Like I, 
the the benefit that I feel I have compared to some of the other creators in this space is that, you know, this isn't what I do full time. So like the money is definitely helpful, but I don't need the money. Right. right. I, I can kind of be a bit selective with who I work with and what I promote. And like there's some companies, there's one company that I work with where they'll drop something and if I don't like it, I tell them I'm not gonna post, I'm not gonna promote it because I just don't like it. Yeah. And they're like, okay. And most people aren't willing to have that conversation because they need the money. And I don't blame them for that. Like this is a livelihood, it's how people survive. Right. Um, but I think having an income that sustains my life outside of this allows them to be a lot more authentic and transparent. And I think that my audience latches onto that because I hope that they can see that from me because I try my best to just put everything out there. I don't hide anything from people. I don't lie to my audience. I try and keep things always above board. Um, and, and I hope that that shines through with my content. No, it definitely does 100%. And I, I can feel it as you know someone who is part of your audience and watches your videos and Thank gains you. value from it. Um, I want to get back to the topic of your work and what you do is like a nine to five, yeah. right? So I think that's such an important piece and I do it myself. And like you said, you aren't at the helm of the supplement company or the, you know, clothing, clothing brand. Whatever, exactly. Yeah. The brand that you're working with, you can have that say and say, okay, does this align with my morals? Does it align with my ethics? And if it does, then I can move forward. If not, I'm good because I know I have a steady job and I do something that keeps me safe yeah. and allows me to pay my bills and allows me to live a lifestyle that I love. And like you said, that resonates so much with people because that's how fitness is in most people's lives. Yeah, It's not the main component. It's simply another tool to enhance their life. 100%. And, and being someone who actually lives that out on social media, it's rare and few and far between. So I think the more people we have who live those lifestyles and who also have that inclination of, I want to post my truth. I want to tell my story and positively impact others. You got to go through with it. And I always tell people, if, you know, if I have a friend who's like, oh, I'm thinking about posting content or whatever, I'm like, just do it. Just oh, go yeah. for it. Go for it. Cause you never know who's going to watch and who's going to say like, man, that was really helpful. Or like I, I ran into somebody at a, uh, like a concert. Right. And someone goes, dude, you helped my back so much last year with your oh, that's posts. Amazing. I'm like, dude, that's that's why I do it. Like, yeah. that's such a cool thing. And like to see your clients too and see them getting a little bit healthier. Or one of my favorite things is if you're working with an old person, right? Oh, yeah. And they have more balance or they're able to like reach the top shelf and get a jar off, right? <laughs> yeah. Those are the coolest things and, and be able to see like how fitness really impacts people's lives. Um, but I want to get back to your, your nine to five here. So- what do you do for work? You said you're you're kind of in the financial space, right? Yeah, well, not actually. So my, okay. my background is finance. That's what I okay. studied at, at the university that we went to. Um, and then when I graduated, I got a job working in corporate finance for a big oil and gas company here in Cleveland. But my dream and my goal was always to work in tech. Okay. Um, I've always had, just from a personal intellectual standpoint, a big interest in technology companies and um, just how they're built, how they scale, how they create value, how they capture value. And that was always an industry I wanted to work in. But it's tough when you're in a city like, like Cleveland because it's not a major tech hub. You know, yeah. Most of the major tech companies, they recruit out of Boston, San Francisco, New York, LA, those big Chicago, those big markets where they have schools that they target for people to work at their companies. And our school just wasn't one of those. So it was a grind to get in there, man, um, because, again, we're not like – a market that tech companies will target. So I had to sort of cultivate that image for myself. So 
I spent quite a bit of time on LinkedIn just writing about technology, writing articles about new developments, new technologies, new uh, business models that companies are exploring and how the implication that has on the broader market and just building a reputation for myself on that platform as somebody who understands tech and knows about tech from a strategic standpoint. And then what I think really helped was actually COVID because the workforce became dispersed at that point yes, in time. And yeah. companies realized, you know what? We don't have to only hire people in San Francisco. There's a lot of smart people in Ohio. There's a lot of smart people in Indiana. There's a lot of smart people in Oklahoma. All over the country, there's smart people. But all the opportunities went to people who had studied or lived on the coast because that's where the companies were. And everyone in the middle was kind of not able to take advantage of being a part of the companies that are, are growing the fastest, are paying the best salaries, that are doing the most interesting things. And to me, that just sort of continues the inequality you have between like big cities and rural places because people in living in small towns don't get those opportunities. Yeah. People living in small cities don't get those opportunities. And uh, COVID allowed that market to be opened up. And uh, I was recruited for a job in tech strategy I did very well there and then was recruited to, well, strategy and finance, basically. And then last October, I actually started my new job the week of my bodybuilding show. Um, I started a new job with another company where what I'm essentially doing is helping the company plan for their long-term sales goals, more from like a strategic operational standpoint. And that's one third of what I did at my previous job. Oh, okay. So my previous job was a smaller company. They were what you would call a late stage startup. So they're just before going public, but they've been in the market for a long time. The company I'm at now is a huge company. They're worth like $65 billion. They're publicly oh, wow. traded. They're from Australia, been around for 25 years. And so they just needed somebody who had the background that I had because there's not a lot of people in tech that have that experience. So they hired me to do, again, like one third of the work I was doing before, just at a higher level. And the work-life balance is so much better. The benefits are amazing. The company is awesome. I mean... I was just in Austin at their office, dude. They have like free food all day. I saw that. Oh, dude, it's, it's insane. Like free food all day. They have like a, a barista who just makes coffee anywhere you want it all day long. They have things like they have free childcare at the office. So if you're a parent, you can just bring your kids in and watch your kids while you're working. You take them home afterwards. They have like rooms for moms to nurse their babies if they bring their babies into childcare. Mm -hmm. They have like, you know, like deodorant, toothbrushes, tampons for women. All those things are just there for people and um, they just take care of their employees. Like one of the things that sold me, which I don't have to use, thankfully, but just show me the kind of company they are where if you have like a sick family member, they will pay to send a nurse to look after them. Wow. Even if, if you can't go and do it yourself. So it's like, why, why would you want to work for a company that doesn't do that for you? And um, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's going to change with the market changing, but I think it's great that companies have learned that if you want to keep top people and top talent, you have to be treating them like people, not treating yeah. them like, you know, cogs in a machine. And that's how I feel with my company. So when people ask me, you know, are you going to leave what you do full time to do Instagram? Like Instagram, the money can get to a point where it would make sense financially. I still don't think I would do it mm. because I just really enjoy what I'm doing. I'm not one of those people that works nine to five job that they hate. I don't hate my boss. I don't hate my company. I love what I do. It's very intellectually stimulating. It's rewarding for me. And uh, that's something I know that I can count on, hopefully for the rest of my life. But Instagram, who knows how long that can be a thing. Exactly. So it's great to have it as, you know, like a side hustle. It's a very demanding side hustle, unfortunately. Oh God, it takes yeah. up so much of my time. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't 
really ever see myself leaving that, leaving what I do to do Instagram. That's because the threshold for me to do that is just so high given what I do full time. You know, if I didn't have like a job that I liked, if I hated my job, if right. I made no money, it'd be easy to leave that to go do Instagram full time. But it's not because I really enjoy what I do and it, it pays well. So mm. yeah, it's kind of what it is. That's a great setup, man. And I, I have a very similar situation with my job. And I think it's so important to highlight those situations because we see on Instagram and social media, everything, this demonization of the nine to five. Oh, yeah, man. And don't get me wrong, for sure. There are circumstances where the company takes advantage of you. You know, you're working 80 hours. I think Aldi is really bad at that. If I've heard people, oh, yeah. that, they, you know, you're working like crazy. Yeah. But there's a lot of jobs. And you mentioned the COVID thing that have opened up that work from home. Oh, yeah. Situation for so many people. It has helped me out so much with my mental health. Not at first. It took me a while to learn how to work from home. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like you got to set it up perfectly. But like you mentioned, there's so much more balance in life that you can do. Yeah. And now I have so much more time to do passions like this, you know, doing this podcast, posting content. And that's what's so beautiful about it is you don't have to put all the stress on yourself to do your own thing. You can get a nine to five and be able to work on your passions in the side and yeah, okay. it's not all or nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You can have a really good balance and learn so many skills from that nine to five job. hundred percent. And yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know where I'd be without that solidified job. And don't get me wrong. I love what I do with training and um, posting content and this podcast, but it's very volatile and it's so determined on who's going to listen, who's going to watch, how many people are buying. So it's, you know, it's business to consumer. So it's, it's tough to really gauge the market, how it's going to go, especially when you have, you know, a family to worry about. Yeah. And like, I'm getting married in a couple of weeks. I got to think of like, <laughs> you know, saving money up for buying a house or having kids, like all these things, these really big, you know, decisions, yeah. yeah, responsibilities in my life that are coming up. That nine to five job is such a good pillar to have in your life to really hold you down and make you feel like you can sleep at night. Like you don't have to worry about like, yeah. is this Instagram post going to do really well? Like who gives a shit? Does it, Does provide... it control you? Yeah. hundred percent, man. Yeah. And I honestly like, so again, like we're both entrepreneurs. I love that there is generally a, a push to have more young people explore the entrepreneurship route. Cause I think it's, it's, it's been problematic for probably since the 1950s, 60s, where kids are taught that the, only way the only way to have a decent life is to go to college get a job and just work like a slave until you're 65 right mm -hmm. it's good that they're opening up people's minds to other opportunities out there but i think it's setting up a lot of kids for disappointment failure and being set back very far because they're thinking that if i work a nine-to-five job i'm a failure so i have to go and try drop shipping or whatever there's time to do online yeah. and like, is that really a rewarding business for you? Mm -hmm. Like doing drop shipping or whatever it is that they're telling you to do? Oh, like, realtor, I always feel like the realtor thing is huge on social media. Like yeah. buy houses and, you know, flip this, put down 3%. And it's like, hold on, do we realizing that the housing market crashed in 2008 because of a lot of these, you know, little tactics that you're doing? Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's just it's a little weird the, to me. Not the right way to do it. Yeah. And I feel like for most people who, especially if you come from, you know, a poor background, like being able to go to school, get a nine to five job, take care of your elderly parents or take care of yourself and your spouse and your kids. That's not something that should be demonized. That is a big accomplishment in life. And 
by telling people no. If you do that, you're a failure, so you have to risk everything, risk being able to support yourself and your family to do this, because this is the only way to be successful, is doing the same thing that was problematic before, just in a different path, mm. where the only way to be successful is be an entrepreneur. And you know, statistically, the chances of being successful in that route are very low. Very low. You can, you can say, oh, well, you know, I'm different, I'm so much smarter. You can be smart, you can have a great idea, and the timing be wrong. You could be the right time, you uh, the, have the right idea, but you just don't know how to execute. You might have all those things, but not have the right partners around you. There's so many variables that are outside of your control, including luck, when you're thinking about being a successful entrepreneur, that again, we talked about genetics, people don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Entrepreneurs want to talk about the things that helped them that they had no control over, the, the things in their life that, that benefited them, the luck that they experienced, because they can't sell you luck. They can sell you my course, they teach you tactically what to do, but they can't sell you, oh my God, I happened to meet this one person at this one time, and that's why my dare took off, or the market was just ripe for me to have this idea work out at this point in time. You can't control for those things. The thing you can't control for is your nine to five, and in the time you have outside of that, you work on your passion. Yeah. But you're not betting your entire future, your family's future, on something that you don't really control whether it's successful or not. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. And the more you focus on that passion, the more your opportunities grow too. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen down the line. I mean, even with you starting your fitness page, this is just a passion of mine. I love working out. I want to share this with people. Next thing you know, a couple of videos pop off. Your followers start to grow. Your page grows like crazy. Dude, I remember I was talking with Cal and I'm like, dude, Andre's are like 20,000. Dude, Andre's are like 30,000. Like this happened <laughs> so quick, but that's that's what we were talking about, the luck piece of it. You can't really control for that. No. You can, and even though like, yeah, you make great videos, you never know which one's going to pop off. And no. as a content creator, you know, like you think the best ones, this is, oh, dude, this is going to be awesome. And then you post Trust. it and then it flops <laughs> and you're just like, what the fuck? Having the crazy. random ones do well. And like, that's what I tell people. Like there are a lot of people who just want to copy other people's stuff that's successful. Yeah. Sometimes that works. Like I see people copy my videos too, but it's, or they even copy my captions. Like that's, you know, you can do that, but just because it worked for me doesn't mean it would work for you. Right. I can try and copy someone else's videos who do well just because it worked for them doesn't mean it'll work for me there's so many things that i don't even know how to control so it's like you just kind of just got to be authentic and do it for the right reasons don't do things for the sole purpose of like blowing up and because i if you ask me when i saw on my page that i'd be where i'm at now i would tell you hell no i thought i would get to a thousand followers by like christmas yeah then my christmas was at a hundred thousand you know what i mean like i never yeah. i never planned or expected that and it happened and i'm making the most out of it but again like there's there's so much that went into that being successful that I had no control over because I didn't like I'm not like Liver King who had a whole like strategy planned out <laughs> yeah. about how to get to a million followers. Right. I just started posting videos, man, and things worked out. So, mm. yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the way it is. You know, if you're so focused on blowing up and getting to this number, it doesn't matter what you get to. It's never enough. Oh, it's just it's a that, number. Yeah. Yeah. It's that constant chase of like, well, this person has 200,000. I need to get to them, right? Like I only have a hundred thousand, but look at, you know, when you started, you're only at 500, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Or like 20 people were only following your page <laughs> yeah. and look at how much you've grown. But if you're doing it for the right reasons, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. It's like, well, I love to do this. Yeah. This, anything else is kind of like the cherry on top. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And that's how people got to think about it, right? Just do it for the right reasons. Always focus on giving value to people, having given them something to connect with whether it's being relatable, so you're sharing experiences that they've had that they can relate to and feel better about, or you're giving them knowledge, you're giving them something of entertainment value, but you can't just make it all about you, 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 I'm awesome, look at me. I, I, 
I just don't connect with people like that. And I would never want to be that person for someone else. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to have a, a virtuous footprint online, you know, be some, you, you want to look back in 20 years at the things you posted and say, you know what? That wasn't in vain. Like that was generally meant to provide value to people. And I did my best to create this version yeah, of somebody, whatever that was. Somebody's life was made better by what I did. That's mm-hmm. ultimately what I want to come down to. And yeah, I was just thinking about this, this quote from, I don't know if you know, Scott Galloway, Mm-mm. love Scott Galloway. He's one of my favorite, like, um, podcasters, but okay. he talked about this in the context of like your net worth. Like you don't think about money in terms of like a number, think about it in terms of what you can do. Like, Oh, I'm, I'll feel financially successful when I can buy my mom a house or something like that, right? Don't think about, oh, when I have $100,000. Because he's like, you know, the interesting thing about numbers is you can always think of a bigger one. Yeah. Like you tell yourself, okay, you know, one million's a number. Once I get to one million, I'll be happy. And like, damn, you know what sounds better than one million? Two, Two million. million. Yeah. <laughs> your number can just keep going bigger in your head. But if you build your, your goals around tangible things and, and impacting the people around you, That'll never change. The joy you'll feel from buying your mom a house will be the same no matter what. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if your joy is to get to a million dollars, that joy can be taken away the moment you start thinking about a bigger number. Definitely. So. Do you do you have any goals yourself that you're trying to accomplish, you know, by building your wealth? I got to take care of my parents, man. Okay. Like my parents, you know, I didn't come from money. My parents are both very intelligent, very hardworking people who did everything they could for me. And uh, just financially, things didn't work out, right? And I wanna, I would want to be able to help them more now, but I just am not there yet. But I'm thankful that with what's going on with my Instagram, with my career, I can get to that point where I can, I can finally be able to really, really help them. Not like a few things here or there, but like be the main reason why they're able to survive. That's like the one thing I'm working towards. And you know, still young, it's gonna take some time, but. If I can get there, that's where I know that I'm accomplished. And I also want to get to a point in my own life where I'm not so dependent on having to exchange my time for money mm. that I can just be like a present father. Like I don't have kids yet, obviously, yeah. but um, I just imagined very early on when I was still in college, like the kind of, of, of parent and man and father that I want to be. And I want to be someone that's involved. I don't want to be the dad that like he provides, but he can't be there to attend your soccer games or ballet recitals because I have to be spending my time providing, right? And I think that's my responsibility as a male. I have to do that. But I don't think that I'm doing myself or my future kids any favors by not being present in their lives. And as much as you'd want to just like forget about money and focus on your kids, money is important. And, you know, I want to get to a point by the time I am a father that I'm comfortable enough not only financially, but also having control over my time that I can do those things and have the freedom to do that. And that's those are kind of like the two parameters of what success looks like for me. And who knows, maybe that might change in a few years. Maybe I might be thinking about other things, but like, I don't really have dreams about like cars and clothes. Like I don't really crave things like that. I do like cars. That is, that is the one thing, but like, I don't, I don't care. Like I don't care if I don't have designer clothes. I don't care if I don't have fancy watches or fancy cars. Like I like cars. I don't need to have that. Yeah. Um, that stuff has never really appealed to me. And I've always just thought about more so the freedom that money buys as being my big motivator to want to make more of it and do better with it. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And, and thinking of money as this tool to live a better life yeah, instead of the end-all be-all. 
Yeah, of exactly. Like, and I think I think we do get that a little misconstrued in society where we look at someone who's successful as, oh, they have a lot of money. You know, and, and like you said with the family piece of it, when I look at someone who's successful, I look at a present father. I look at someone who's able to provide, but also, like you said, go to their games. You know, yeah. I, I grew up where my father wasn't wealthy by any means. You know, we moved around a lot, but he went to every single one of my football games. And that meant so much more to me than, you know, a video game that he might yeah, have. Yeah, exactly. In. You're not going to remember the shoes they buy you or the games they buy, but you remember them being there to cheer for you, you know, yeah. and being involved in. I think, you know, my my father, for example, like he had done well financially and then things, you know, took a took a bad turn and then he he ended up not doing well. But when he was when we were living our best life financially, I never saw my dad, you know, like he would have to work late. He'd work Saturdays and he was providing for us. But like. I, you know, like to me now, that doesn't really mean much. Yeah. Not that him providing doesn't is that's okay. I, I want to be clear about that. Not that him providing doesn't mean anything, but it's like that's not the memories of my dad that I latch onto, right? right? It's more like a logical thing. I have to logically think about my dad providing for me, but I can emotionally connect with my mom being there, um, and uh, just having that experience. What I I told myself, I want to be different with my kids. I want to be a father that they can have emotional bonds with throughout the life remember their dad Andre being there and that's been like a big motivation for me honestly since I was like 19 which is weird to be that young thinking about that shit but I get it um it 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 meant so much to me to imagine what my life should be and how I can work towards that and starting as early as possible so I don't give myself an opportunity to fail Mm, yeah yeah dude I think it's it's gonna take a long time to build that person you want to become yeah and uh, I've been reading this book recently. I might have talked about it on a couple episodes previously, so sorry for everybody listening to hear this again. But I've been reading this Bruce Lee book, and he's talking about three different stages of life. Mm-hmm. So the first one is kind of like infancy to you're like you know, 12, 13. You're not really thinking about too much. Yeah. You might be questioning some things, but you're really just living. Like it's just you're just flowing with life. You're not thinking about like, oh, I'm going to die soon or, you know, you're not really thinking about that. And then you get into the stage where you start to recognize, oh, there's a better way to live life versus others. And you're starting to learn, you know, how to exercise, how to eat correctly, Mm -hmm. the, the, the importance of relationships, meditation, all these skills and tools to make you a better man. But within that stage, it takes so many years. It takes stages of confusion. It takes, you know, your... You're feeling down on yourself. There's a lot of soul searching. Yeah, yeah, there's imposter syndrome. And you're trying to figure out, and I think I'm in this stage currently. But after you get out of that stage, it's almost like you go back to being a child again and it's just flow. Because right. you've spent so much time working on yourself, your habits, your thoughts, your emotions, and you know, controlling your actions. That when you get to that stage of life, it just flows and you don't have to think about it. You are just a virtuous person because of all the work you've done. And I think about that a lot because especially us being entrepreneurs and we're driven, we're passionate and we want to create something really special. It's really easy to think about, you know, A to Z, right? I want to get to Z so bad. Oh, yeah. But you got to go through all the letters first. And it's like you recognize where you are, accept it and understand I'm going to make a lot of mistakes in the future. It's going to take a long time to get there. But what else are you going to do? You know, Yeah. you just got to go for it. 
You have to, man. Not, not, oh man. I, I really connected with what you said about like wanting to get the point Z and just being so focused on the end point. The journey matters too. Oh yeah. How you get there matters too. And people don't think enough about the how. They're just thinking about, okay, what? What do I want? What do I need to get to? And they'll just, some people who just do whatever they have to do to get there. I don't really believe in that. I think there is a right way that could be different for every person, but there is a right way to go about doing things. You know, you're not going to, get to point Z by cheating people and treating people badly and just that's not the way that I want to live. I don't want to look back and see all that in my past. I want to be proud of the journey I took to get to where I am. And, you know, I still have a long way to go personally, but seeing where I am now compared to where I was when I moved to the United States, I mean, I've just grown so much tremendously as a person, professional, all these things. And I wouldn't trade the experiences that got me here for anything. It wasn't always easy. Um, you know, it's tough just moving to a new country by yourself with no money, no family, just trying to make things happen. There were a lot of setbacks along the way, but all that's helped shape me into the person I am today who I think has perspective. I'm very grateful for the things I have. I don't take anything for granted. And I wouldn't be that way now if I didn't have the struggles that got me here. And mm. again, having to overcome them the right way, not cheating the system, not cheating people, just... There's always staying grounded. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah, it definitely is. So talk to me a little bit about that transition of yeah. you coming from. So where was your original? Belize. Country? That's where I moved from. Yeah. Okay. So coming from Belize, moving to the United States, how old were you? And, and you know, what were you going through at that specific time? Yeah. So I was 18 when I moved here and it was to go to John Carroll. Okay. Um, I went to essentially a Belizean version of St. Ignatius. So it's like. All boys, Jesuit, Wildcats, Blue Goals, but we weren't a private school. We were like 70% public, 30% private. So it's not exactly the same thing, but mm -hmm. pretty similar in that regard. And um, they essentially had a program where if you were identified as like a, a, a high potential student, they would invite you to apply for a scholarship. And if you are selected, they'll kind of assign you to a school based on your program of study, how good the school is, a whole bunch of different factors. And I was lucky to be one of those students, and I did get the scholarship. I had a choice between Loyola in New Orleans and then John Carroll. Loyola offered me 50% tuition. John Carroll was 100% tuition. So it was kind of the obvious choice, right? Yeah. And, you know, like for me, my family at that point in time, there, it was very tough for us financially. Um, so I wouldn't have been able to get an education if it weren't for that scholarship. And that was a big motivation for me to just be very focused on doing well because I knew that they were – hundreds, maybe even thousands of kids from Belize that wish they could have an opportunity like the one that I was given. You know, Belize is a very poor country. Very few people are educated, especially educated in the United States. So me having given the chance to do this was huge. And I just couldn't fuck it up. That's kind of like the mindset I came in here with. So basically from day one, it was just all about how do I charter my path to be as successful as possible to not screw up this blessing that I was given because I had nothing to fall back on really. Like, again, my parents don't have money. They were really struggling at that point in time. So if I didn't make it for myself, there'd be no one to support me. I don't have, I mean, like you told me, you also have a similar background. Like we've got no trust fund waiting for us. We've got no inheritance. It's pretty much just us. And we just have to make it, make it work. Um, so I moved here and I was 18, went to John Carroll, graduated, got a job and I graduated, which was really hard, man. Um, because when you're an immigrant, like companies have to go through so much shit to hire you. Like they have to apply for sponsorship, which is not a guarantee. And even if you get that, you can only work there for a year. 
So most companies aren't going to invest the money and take on the risk of hiring somebody international because one, no guarantee you'll get it in the first place. And two, if you get it, like you could be gone in a year. So we invested all this time and money to get you your paperwork, to train you, to hopefully have you do a job and then you got to go, mm. right? So you have to basically be 120% of any competitive American candidate to even be considered for a job. So I just had to like push myself very, very, very hard, both academically, in my interviews, everything. Because if not, then I would have no opportunity to stay in the US and continue to make a life for myself. Um, so yeah, man, just in a nutshell, there were a lot of challenges, a lot of sacrifices, but in the end, things kind of worked out, but it was it was not easy, man. It was a grind, if I have to be honest with you. Damn, no, that's, yeah. that's wild, man. I didn't, I had no idea the yeah. whole sponsorship situation with with getting a job that's that's pretty crazy it's and, a lottery and yeah. you have a seven percent chance of winning so wow yeah <laughs> that is uh, insane i never knew that yeah man. it's tough man it's very tough definitely puts you at a disadvantage but like you mentioned it's weird man i i really wrestle with this a lot in my brain because so we're talking about kids right yeah i would love to create a beautiful life and have you know amenities go on vacations and do all this stuff for sure but I look at the times when, like, I was moving around with my dad. And, you know, I had my mom. She was very secure. She's a great single mom. Raised me beautifully and just awesome. But I, I recognized what it was like to not have money and struggle. And, like, in your situation, you know, you're coming from a poor country. You're already at a disadvantage trying to get jobs. You can look at those two things as, like, it's a disadvantage, but at the same time, it was such an advantage for you to yeah. build your skills, your mindset, your discipline, your patience, everything. It was like this, this blockade for you to be able to overcome. And if you didn't have that, who knows like what type of drive you would have had. So for me, I try to think about like, how do I say, say I am financially successful in the future? How do I provide those challenges for my children so even though they are taken care of and they Teach don't have to struggle yeah because yeah, <laughs> you need you need struggle in your life to become who you are meant to become if you have no struggle in your life you have everything handed to you and we see this a lot in oh, american yeah. culture yeah. i mean dude you, you fall apart mental health issues physical issues i mean you have no spiritual connection whatsoever and it's almost like you're such a shell of yourself I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I, no, I, I, I tell myself the same thing all the time, man. Like my kids are going to have to struggle and work for shit, even if they don't have to, because yeah. that's one of the things my dad, cause my dad also grew up incredibly poor. My dad actually got the same scholarship that I got. What? 30, I don't know. However many years ago, forever ago. No kidding. And he couldn't take the scholarship because he couldn't even afford the plane ticket. Wow. Yeah. It was rough. And you know, he was the eldest of nine siblings he had to support his family right away. He couldn't afford to go and go after the U.S. and try to make a life for himself. He never had that opportunity. And, you know, he worked his whole life to get me in a position where I could at least take that opportunity. It was still really hard. Like, I said full tuition. It doesn't cover room and board or anything like that. So all that's still incredibly expensive for someone oh, yeah. coming from a third world country. And uh, between my parents, some people that we knew who helped out as well, me working full time from the moment I started working, moment I got to the U.S., mm. um, we made it work. But like, it wasn't easy. And I just think about when we did have things well, when we did have money, we still bought everything from the sales section. We didn't go on lavish vacations. We didn't buy expensive cars, even though knowing now, knowing what I know now, we could have afforded to do those things. My dad was not that kind of person because he grew up having to claw his way to where he was. 
And he wasn't about to just blow it on random bullshit. It doesn't matter. You know, the things that yeah. are more important than fancy cars and all these things. And um, he, his, his financial struggles came from investing in businesses. So, like, trying to do something good with his money. Luck just didn't turn out his way. So it's yeah. not like he blew his money on gambling, whatever, and that's how he lost it. It was, it was more so trying to be overly ambitious and things are working out. So you can't fault someone for that, right? Um, but like for me, my kids have got to learn what it means to work, that things have a price, things have value, and you're not entitled to anything. Yeah. Like as your father, I'm going to be there to support you, to help you any way I can. But you have to understand that these things don't just come to you. You have to be willing to work for it and make sure that you earn the things that you're given in life. I do also, I mean, it's tough because like thinking about my situation coming from Belize, like I know that my struggles help me, but I think back, man, there's been two Belizeans going to John Carroll every year for God, two decades. I'm the only one that's still here. Wow. Everyone's gone because it's just the bar is that high. It's yeah. really tough. And they, there have been some very intelligent, also very smart, very hardworking people. And like, it just doesn't always work out that way. So I think that there there does have to be some focus on how you can eliminate those barriers to people that deserve it because all yeah. those kids that come there are exceptional. I mean, every Belize student that comes to John Carroll from Belize, they're the top people in the country at that age, basically. And um, it's just difficult for them to chart away because of the roadblocks that are in place that they can't control. Um, I was lucky to be able to navigate around that, and I worked very hard to break through those, but you know, you, you shouldn't have to do that yeah. all the time. So. It's like, a, you know, there's, there's a give and take there, I think. No, yeah, that's a really good point to make. And, and you also had a lot of support from other people around you. That oh, yeah, 100%. A lot of other people might not have had. 100%. And, yeah, you're oh, – man, that's that's such a tough situation, man. Um, and, you know, I, I can't speak from experience by any means because, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen. Of course, yeah. I, I, I really had all the opportunities given to me in a point where – you know, it was almost expected for me to go to college, right? Like I played yeah. football in high school and like, all right, I'm getting a scholarship to play. Like it was all just kind of laid out. I didn't feel like I needed to grind my way through things or I was like, you know, at a disadvantage when applying for jobs. And it's almost like that mindset might have not made me go a little further. But to your point, maybe not have it as hard right? but, you, like, but you still had to struggle like, for sure it, uh, for sure that i mean man we can have a talk about this we can go deep into this yeah because i feel yeah. like there's degrees to this stuff right like there's me based on immigration laws being at a disadvantage for getting a job right but i'm still educated i might not have u.s citizenship but i have a degree a lot yeah. of people don't have a degree mm -hmm. you know i speak english fluently a lot of, of immigrants don't speak english right so even though like i had my challenges you know, I, I recognize my advantages too. Like I had both my parents my whole life. A lot of people don't have that. You yourself said you didn't grow up with both your parents. I know you're not going to take that as like a badge of struggle, right? Because it's a family dynamic. But you do recognize how having a supportive family unit can help you grow as a person. Oh, definitely. Um, and so like I'm very like self-aware and very self-reflective on the things in my life. Like it's not just, oh, you know, taking pride and being able to overcome these struggles. Like I had help too. And I'm not afraid to admit that. Even like you talk about being here, having a support system. And it's so funny because when I walked in, you talked about like people coming into your life when you need them the most. Yeah. I have had endless experiences like that since I've been in the U.S. Where times where I had no clue how I was going to figure things out and get out of certain situations where people just came at the right time. Like I'll tell you one story because this is something that's, that's really personal to me. Um, my first summer being in the United States, so this was the summer of 2015, 
I was in the dorms and, you know, we're getting kicked out in the last week of school, exam week. And I don't know if you know Rob Crapman. He also played football at John mm-hmm. Carroll. Okay, he's, he's a little bit older, but he was a football player, was a good friend of mine. And uh, I don't have a place to stay because, you know, I couldn't afford to pay rent anywhere. I didn't have any money. My parents couldn't afford to fly me back home, so I had to stay here. But um, I hadn't had nowhere to stay, right? So my friend Rob's like, okay, man, well, you know, I'm going to be living in a house. We're getting a house off campus this summer. It's on Warrensville. Um, you can stay with me for free. You can sleep on the couch. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, dude, I appreciate that. It was like a mile from campus. It was like yeah. past Cedar Road, basically, okay. that side of Warrensville. But I'm like, I'll just walk to school every day to take, you know, summer classes and work some summer jobs to, you know, pay for my food and whatnot, and I'll, and I'll make it work. I'll be fine. Two weeks before school ends, I break my leg. Oh, no. So I'm in a rocker boot. I'm on crutches. And even though the offer was still there to stay at this guy's house, I couldn't crutch a mile and a half every day. I just could not do it, right? Yeah. I don't have a car or anything like that back then either. Um, so basically, even though it was kind of an option, it wasn't really an option. It just wasn't going to work out. And this is like a Thursday before the weekend where we all have to move out of campus. They're going to kick us out. And I literally have no idea where I'm going to be staying for the summer. I have no clue. I'm literally going to be homeless in three days. But I'm just like, okay, well, I guess something will happen. I'll figure it out. And I used to work at the, the rec center, Corbo. And normally how it's set up is you have a student who is working and then you have like a, usually a senior who's supervising. At least that's how it was back then. It's not really like that now. And I had taken someone's shift to work that Thursday night. And then the senior had taken someone else's shift to supervise that night. And he and I are sitting together. We're just talking. You know, I'm getting to know him better. Nicest guy. And, you know, he asked me about my leg. I tell him, oh, yeah, I broke my leg playing basketball. It sucks, whatever. Um, and then in the conversation, I told him, so, you know, funny story. I'm going to be homeless in three days. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean you're going to be homeless? I'm like, I have no place to stay, but, you know, I'm hopefully going to be able to figure it out, you know? He's like, you mean you seriously have nowhere to stay? And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't. And he's like, well, you know, if you're interested, I think my wife and I can have you something better than a cardboard box if you want it. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I'll talk to my wife tonight and give me your number. I'll give you a call tomorrow. So he calls me and he says, hey, I talked to my wife. You know, we are here about your, your problem. We'll be happy to have you stay with us. And their house was right across from school in oh, Belvoir. Perfect. So I could just crush my way back and forth every yeah. day you know it wouldn't be a big problem and you know they were older all their kids had grown and moved out of the house and they gave me the entire top floor to myself basically and the first week i was there you know they were going to go grocery shopping i said here you know here's like 50 dollars to buy you know like some bread some turkey for me to make sandwiches and because i didn't want to just like mooch up with them right yeah the next week the friday came and I said you know what we don't want to take money from college kids it's fine so they basically let me stay at their house the entire summer. He took me to all my doctor's appointments <laughs> for my leg um, at the Cleveland Clinic. I didn't charge me a dime. Wow. And since I've been in the U.S., they have been the closest thing I can call family around John Carroll. Um, and uh, they've been there at every big moment of my life. Every My graduation, buying my first car. Wow, We've celebrated man. getting my first job. They, I basically call them my grandparents. Just two amazing people that, again, how could I have control for that? There was nothing I could have done nothing. that could have brought these people into my life. And because they were there, I survived that summer. I, I had no means of doing it on my own. But again, the people that came into my life were right when I needed them. And they've been there ever since. You know? Wow, that's a beautiful story, man. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And 
it's weird you mention that because I feel like John Carroll is this hub for amazing people. Yeah. Some people, I, some, I mean, maybe not all of them, but yeah. like some, some people who I've met at John Carroll are going to be my lifelong friends. People I look at as mentors and who I need advice from, I will call them instantly. That place has helped me so much shift who I was as a person, my perspective on life, how I interact with other humans, just everything, man. And knowing that, you know, that's where you gained that support system because, you know, that was your first semester, right? Like, yeah, that was my first summer in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So coming into your first summer, if you didn't find that place, who's, who's telling what could have happened? I honestly, I can't, it, it scares me to think about what I would have done. Cause again, like I, I, I'm sure my parents would want to help me. They just couldn't help me. There's nothing they could really do. My dad said, you know, maybe I can give you a couple hundred dollars for the, for the whole summer. Right. Like that's, that's not gonna gonna help me as much. Yeah, and yeah. I I survived, but trying to think about what I would have done otherwise, I honestly can't think of it. Wow, man. There there were no other options for me. That's that's such a stressful situation. As you're telling that story, I'm like three days till you're homeless. That's fucking crazy. Man. It's nuts, man. And there, there are other times too. I mean, I can go on about this forever, but I remember. Oh man, this was this was the winter of December 2017 going into 2018. That January was the worst, one of the worst months of my life, probably. But I'm not going to get into that. What I'm going to get into <laughs> is uh, a story. It was December 29th. I went out for one of my friend's birthday. It was snowing like crazy. And there's not a lot of snow in Belize, so I'm not very good at driving in the yeah. snow. <laughs> um, and I'm driving home. I hit a patch of ice. My car is off the road. My, my car basically gets wrecked, right? At the valet December 31st at a restaurant because I always had a second job when I graduated. And uh, I remember it was like so cold that night. It was like zero, like negative 15 of wind chill that New Year's Eve. And the restaurant I was at, the guy was just a prick where he hated having the valets in the like the walkway because he's like it disrupts the flow of the restaurant to mm. see you guys there. So you have to be outside. So we're outside from – Five in the afternoon to four o'clock in the morning. Oh my god! In the freezing cold, just just dying, basically going to our cars every now and then to warm up. And I'm valeting there because I I wrecked my car, so I needed the money. Now, like I was gonna take the night off and go out, but I'm like, well, I have to work now because I just wrecked my car. I need to make some money. Yeah. And uh, I worked. What was that? That's a eleven hour shift. I made sixty five dollars because everyone Ubered. Everyone Ubers on New Year's Eve, right? Nobody valets their car. Yeah. So I made no money, and I needed to Uber home, and I checked the price of the Ubers, $73. Oh, son of a bitch. Because man. of the surge pricing, and it's New Year's Eve, and I'm thinking, like, God, like, I have just froze my balls off for 11 hours. I'm so miserable. I'm already, like, still shaken by the fact that, like, I just crashed my car, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I have to spend, like, more money that I just made just to get back home. Dude, I wanted to cry. Yeah. I was honestly like, it, it, it was, that was the start of what became a very terrible month. A lot of things went wrong. Yeah. I won't get into that, but it was really bad. Um, and out of nowhere, one of my friends is like, hey man, are you still working? I'm like, yeah, I'm just about getting done. He's like, okay, um, if you need a ride, you know, I can come and get you and bring you home. And I'm like, are you like downtown? Like, where are you? No, 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 I'm, I'm at home on the east side, but I'll, I'll come and get you because I know you don't have your car. Damn, dude. Dude, I, I legitimately, I want to cry right now. Yeah. Dude, thinking about it, like, ah, man. 
again a guy from John Carroll too. Yeah. And um, man, just wow. Every time I think about that story, I get so like emotional because like, just remember being in this depths, and then just having somebody when you least expect to come out and pull you out for no reason. This guy had no reason to 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 text me that. You know. Yeah. He just was thinking about me. Like you know what, this poor guy. He's working a whole night. He doesn't have a car. I can do one thing and help him. So the guy really drove through freezing cold weather. It was snowing like crazy. He came and got me and brought me home. Wow. Just without me even asking. He just volunteered and did it. You Dude, know? that's awesome. Those moments are so cool to me because I feel like they not only are an amazing act of kindness, but they foster that pay it forward mentality in yourself. Because now you're thinking to yourself like, that was so impactful for me. What if I could do that for somebody else? Even right. if it's not even at that level or not the same situation, just helping someone out when they're in need, it's almost like a selfish feeling. It's almost like I'm doing this because it feels so good for me, but obviously you're helping that other person. But right. yeah, man, it's that's an awesome story, dude. That's really yeah, cool. Man, like, like I told you when we mentioned it earlier, there's been a lot of just, just uh, challenges and times where things were down to get to where I am now and. That's why I just look back and I'm just so grateful for the opportunities I was given, all the people who've like come in my life throughout the time to make it possible for me because as hard as I've worked, as you know, naturally gifted I am with certain things, like if it's not for the people around me, again, what would that talent and intelligence have done for me? If, if I don't have a place to stay that summer, what what, what do I do? Yeah. You know, my my my, you know, gifts don't find me a place to stay. You know what I mean? It's just people's acts of kindness that have so much of a bigger impact than you expect them to have in the moment. And I don't forget those things. I hold on to those dearly because that's truly where you see the good in humanity. And there's so much around to make you see the bad. And I feel like we're almost pushed to see that on a daily basis. But I always go back to those moments to remember, you know what, there are good people in this world and I need to aspire to be just like that. Yeah, dude, that's that's beautifully said. And it makes me think of this quote. We were talking about it a little bit earlier yeah. where it's not about the destination, and we talked, you know, obviously the journey is very important, yeah. but it's not even about that either. It's the company that you keep along that journey. And that's always resonated with me right? because those moments where you're connecting with another human being or there's that act of kindness happening, dude, it's like this spark of it, it's so hard to put a word around it because it's this feeling of just straight euphoria almost. And you just feel so amazing in that moment of connection it's like you're one with the other person and those are such important pieces in your life when you get to the end right are you going to care about oh that was a cool car i drove don't get me wrong like cars are cool you know i love dude i went to vegas this this uh december drove this mustang it was fucking unreal it was so cool but I don't really care about that. Like I, I also care about the connection that I just have with my future wife on that yeah, trip. Man. Right. And, right on. and those are the most important moments in my life. And I think that's really the most important moment in everybody's life. Right. Is, are those connections with the people that you absolutely love unconditionally when you get to the end, man, that's, that's what you're thinking about. Oh, yeah. not, not anything else. It is quite a like too, where it says that, you know, some people are so poor, all they have is money. Mm. I love that. Yep. Yeah. Have you ever seen the, it's like the Bob Marley interview and the guy's asking like, are you wealthy? And he goes, you know, what is wealth? Or like, yeah. are you rich? And he's like, what is rich? You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
He's like, I, everything, all these positions, that's not rich. Like every, everyone I keep, I can't remember exactly what he said. I remember the interview. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? And, and yeah, I think he encapsulated that really well, man. That's the mindset, man. Like when, you know, <laughs> like I, I guess, you know, I, I know you went to stoicism too. So like you contemplate yeah. death a lot. Definitely. And I always like imagine my eulogy. You know, like, what are people going to say about me? What are people, what am I going to be remembered for? That's yeah. something that drives a lot of what I do in my life. And uh, not one point do I think about anyone saying in my eulogy the cars I had or the clothes I wore. Nobody gives a shit, man. No. Nobody cares. Like, it's nice to have nice things. And if you work for them, by all means, enjoy it. But you are going to be remembered for the impact you have on people and the relationships you form. And I think that should be your North Star always. Like we talked about with money. I work hard to make money, to save money, to invest money. Not because I want money. You got to think about what that can do for me and the people that matter to me. And that is so much more rewarding than just buying something for myself. I, I have a hard time spending money on myself, man. It's, mm-hmm. it's something I'm trying to get better at, honestly. Like, you know, Nicole, she's been trying to help me do that because – like I work very hard and even as things do better, like I almost feel like I don't deserve it because of where I came from. I don't want to say like, I'm not trying to virtue signal, but it's like, um, I have a hard time being comfortable spending money on myself because one, you know, being an immigrant, I always have this like fear that I'll be taken away from me someday yeah. that I haven't shaken, which is bad is I probably need therapy for that, but that's there. <laughs> and then, uh, again, just thinking that maybe I don't deserve to have these things. Like maybe I haven't earned it yet. I still yeah. have so much more work to do. Um, I feel like taking a step back to just look back and, and appreciate how far I've come, it gives me the comfort to be willing to do that for myself to, to an extent, obviously, because you still want to be smart with your money. But um, just be willing to, to make those investments in your own happiness beyond just what you do for other people. But that's still like the main purpose for why I do 95% of the things that I do. It's not about what I can buy for myself, but what I'll be able to do for the people in my life that I care about. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a virtuous endeavor completely in, and I, I respect the fact that you have a hard time spending money because of your experience and that makes, it makes so much sense. And, you know, you mentioned the stoicism piece of it. There's that weird balance of like, I want to improve myself and get better and better. And then that mindset of like, I'm not, I'm not good enough yet. I need to keep working, keep working. But you also have to have that reflection time where you're like, damn, look at all I've accomplished. Look at actually what I've built and the people I've impacted. Because when you harness that energy and you start to reflect on all the things you've done, it almost helps you move forward and realizes who you are as a person. And and it validates who you are and who you think you are based on the actions that you're doing. Now, obviously, I think we're speaking from people who, who do virtuous things and yeah. who do go out and, and make an impact. Um, so it might be a little bit different for someone who doesn't do that. But um, I think it's it's weird because I understand what you're saying, but I also think it's important to have that mindset to actually grow and to keep moving forward. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that that to me is what the fire that keeps you going, like never being too comfortable with where you are. Yeah. And uh, did you ever watch the Kanye West documentary on Netflix? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, dude. There's this one scene that is it just it's so perfect where this is 2001. Right. Who was Kanye West in 2001? He was a nobody. And he's talking to Pharrell and Pharrell listens to um, one of the tracks from um, College Dropout. And he's like, man, this is amazing. 
but I'm going to tell you, man, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go big. You're going to be famous. You're going to pop off. But even when you pop off, still doubt yourself. Yeah. Don't get too comfortable. And this is him talking to like, you know, pre Kanye Kanye. Right. And, uh, I just think, man, that, that is really what it's all about. Like as far as you come, you want to be grateful for the journey and for the experiences and the people that take you there, but you just cannot get complacent. Because yeah. to me, there's another um, saying, once you stop growing, you die. Like you have to continue to be moving forward and having that little bit of self-doubt that motivates you to improve, but not have it grow so much where it impacts your mental health and you start to almost have like an imposter syndrome that isn't needed or warranted at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you said that, that doubt and that fear of, am I creating good art or am I making something that's actually impactful? Yeah. It can be taken to an extreme where it's almost hindering you actually taking action. Yeah. But it's, it's such a powerful tool for creation because you're like, I need to prove myself wrong. It's like, there's these two people battling in your head of one saying, you're not worthy. You can't do right. this. And then there's another one saying, dude, look at all the shit I just did. Like, I can do this. Yeah. I'm the fucking man. You yeah. know? And it's like, you can't let one or the other take too much control because they both have so much value and drive to make you, you know, become who you're supposed to become. Right. So it's like, you have to accept both of those and understand that I'm not either of those things. I'm really something in the middle and almost like I'm my inner being. And you can't let either of those drive you too much, but also understand they're they're such a powerful tool and use them to your advantage. Hundred percent, man. Yeah. The power of the mind. It's <laughs> being able to control that. And again, like we're talking about stoicism, this is why I got into it a few years ago. It's just I just like being able to frame my actions in terms of the things that I can control and the impact they can have on me, and like being able to control. My emotions, keep my mindset strong, stay hustling. Those are the things that I can't control. There's a lot that we talked about in my life that I have no control over. Yeah. Positive and negative, right? I recognize them both. But if that occupies all of my mental space and drains my emotional energy, I can't be putting it into the things that I actually can't control. And I've been sort of laser focused on those things basically since I moved to the United States. That's been like the, the mindset that I've had. Mm. So, so what are some other, like you mentioned stoicism. Is there anything else you do to harness that really strong mindset that helps you, you know, take action and and build the the man you want to become? Man, I go back and forth with it because I feel like every person has two levers. There's aspiration and there's desperation. Mm. And, you know, you hear people talk about, you know, a mindset of abundance versus a mindset of scarcity. I think you can sort of bifurcate that abundance mindset into those two components. Like, are you desperate to not fail? Or are you so hungry for success? And I feel like at different points in my life, I've been both people. Like, you know, there are some people who, you know, they will claw and fight and do whatever they could do to just not hit rock bottom, to not fail. And in the midst of that fight, they are successful. And the people that are just dreamers who just, they imagine what they want for their lives. They're so confident they can get there. They just go out and they do it. When I moved to the U.S., it was all desperation. Yeah. I was just so desperate to not fuck up. That that drove me to my absolute limits because I knew the opportunity I was given and I knew that if I didn't succeed, there's 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 no there's there's no fallback option. I just have to do I just have to succeed. So that desperation kept me along, but when I was younger in Belize before 
the realities of money and all these things came into my head. It was all aspirational because, you know, I was a very smart kid. I, I did really well in school um, and I had these natural gifts that I knew if I use them right, if I took advantage of them, I could have a great life, you know, and every kid thinks they're going to be a millionaire or an actor and have a cologne out of them. Everybody thinks that, right? Um, but I felt like I had a unique opportunity to make a lot of those dreams come true. So that aspiration pushed me through high school to do well. And then when I actually got the opportunity, it was all desperation to not screw it up. For most of my time here, that was my mindset, but I'm getting to the point now where I'm a little bit more secure, like I don't have the same fears that I had when I was younger, where I can think more about what more can I do to expand this, uh, this, this, this mini empire that I'm building for myself? What opportunities can I explore? And uh, that aspiration is sort of carrying me on now where I have all these things going on. I'm trying to balance them and put my time where it makes the most sense. But I'm not in that constant like, oh my God, like I just need to, I just, yeah. I just, I just can't fail like that. That helped me, but that shit is not healthy, man. No. You, can, you cannot keep that up for, not sustainable. for too long. No. It's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that you know I've been able to break past that. I have people in my life that helped me come down to earth, settle myself down, because the way I ran myself, you know, how hard I pushed myself, especially after I graduated, because working hard in school is one thing, but then working two jobs, not because I, I really had to, I felt I had to. I felt I had to be spending every hour of my life working or doing something productive or else my life had no meaning Mm. or else I would just fail. I would have no money. I'd be broke. I would fail. I just, I had those fears and it like pushed me to take on very unhealthy work habits, very unhealthy eating habits. I did not eat well at all during that period of my life. And, um, you know, it got me through a lot of the decisions I made then were actually important to help keep me here and, 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 and keep me growing but at some point, I had to be able to break myself out of that mindset or else I would just self-destruct. So, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what it is, man. Yeah. Yeah, the scarcity versus abundance mindset. Yeah. Yeah, like you mentioned, we. this is an interesting conversation because I think a lot of things I hear are very polarized one way or the other, right? right? Like, you need to have an abundance mindset or you need to have a scarcity mindset. But like you were just talking about, there were benefits and disadvantages to both. Right. You know, there were, and okay, so I want, I want to go back to this, the feeling of like, oh, I want to be a movie star. Like I want to have a cologne named after yeah. me that you <laughs> talked about. Right. Have you ever heard of uh, Chris Williamson? He does the modern wisdom podcast. I've heard of the modern wisdom podcast, but I've never listened to it. Okay. I've heard about it. Okay. Yeah. I, I would definitely recommend checking it out. I think it'd be up your alley. Nice. But, he talks about the difference between American culture and English culture, right? In the UK, that's where he's from. And people in America have this, like you were talking about that movie star mindset of like, I can accomplish anything. Anything. I can, you know, soar my wings and fly. I can do whatever I want to do. And that has advantages and disadvantages, right? We can shoot for the stars and, Oh my God, look at where that got us. But now if we don't reach that point that we thought was successful, we're left feeling like less of ourselves or that we're empty. Right. And then flipping over to the UK, it's uh, you ever heard of uh, it's like poppy syndrome. So mm. if the the poppy grows too tall, it'll get cut down or it's like mm-hmm. a, a crabs in yeah. a, a crabs in a barrel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, if one crab tries to get out, the other crabs bring it back down. It's the same thing in the UK. Everyone is like, you know, toe the line. Don't, don't be 
you know, don't Save wear, cra- lane, yeah. yeah, don't, don't go crazy and start your own business. Like work at a job and just do your thing. And in that situation, it's like, you know, you're pretty happy and, and kind of content with living a normal life and, right. and just being a nine to fiver and being able to provide for your family. But then at the disadvantage, who knows what your potential could have been? Who yeah. knows what you could have created? So in that way, it's like there's it's such a complex issue. And when we start to understand that we can take both, we can look at both of those things and take components from each of those to actually use them to fuel our life. That's beautiful. And that's like the awareness on a different level that I don't even think on that yet. Right. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, you your story is such a good pointer to that. Right. It. it it shows that you had the scarcity mindset and then you went to the abundance mindset and look at what you're kind of creating now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was thinking about this while you were talking about that distinction between like American culture versus British culture around um, like aspirations. And, yeah. you know, so I have a finance background and I tend to think about a lot of things in my life in terms of risk reward, upside, downside. Yeah. I was joking with Nicole because like, if we're driving and she's like, oh, like why, why wouldn't you like um, speed through that red light or something like a risk reward? Like the risk is I can get pulled over and get a $200 ticket. The reward is I get there 10 seconds faster. You know what I mean? So like, Mm -hmm. it's not a risk I'll take because the reward just isn't worth it. Right. The upside isn't there, but the downside is high. And I feel like if that, uh, mindset of abundance, it's the kind of thing you don't want to have when the downside risk is high. Like for me, like I talked about that desperation mindset, the downside risk for me was very high. You know, sure. I could think about my ceiling, what I could accomplish, but I had to protect against my downside. Right. And having that scarcity mindset always had me thinking about worst case scenarios. How do I control for them? What do I do in case this happens so I'm okay? And that sort of keeps me going so I don't hit that that threshold where things get catastrophic. And then, like I said, now that that floor has been raised where I don't have the same downside risk, now I can look up, okay, I've taken care of everything down here. What can I accomplish up here, right? And if you think about, you know, kids being dreamers, kids don't really have downside risk yeah. because because you're a kid, your parents are paying your bills, you're getting fed, you get playtime. Like you, you, you can only think, look up because there's really yeah. no downside to look at. But when reality hits you and life hits you, that's where most people start to change their thinking. But again, you have to be able to self-regulate and move throughout the mindsets that will help you the most at any point in time. Because yeah. sure, you get out of college, the real world hits. Maybe you lose a grandparent or a parent and you think about, man, like people don't live forever. We're not invincible. Like people in your life will die. This happens. And um, it makes you start thinking about life a lot differently. You realize, shit, I'm not going to be a billionaire after all. You know, I'm not going to have a clone after me after all, right? Like life gets real. And even if you do, it's going to end. It's going to end at some point. You don't experience it forever. Yeah. So like you, you have to come to reality but you can't lose that fire inside that pushes you to want to do more. Mm. And I know for me, even when I was in that mindset of, I just gotta do whatever the hell I can do to not fail, I always thought about, okay, I need to not fail because of what I want for my life in 20 years, Yeah. right? Like even though I'm tactically in the near term focused on how do I not screw up this opportunity, I didn't want to screw up because of what I knew I wanted my life to be. So I don't lose sight of the Z. I don't lose sight of the end goal, but I need to, in the journey, navigate the roads that are going to be the quickest or most advantageous at any point in time. Because if not, then you get blind spots in the places you don't need blind spots and you start to make decisions that end up hurting your, 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 your pathway to that end goal. Yeah. It's almost like you're just accepting the path and kind of in that moment, making the best decision 
in that moment in time, right? Right, exactly. Obviously, you have some something to set your course at and something to set your sales at. And yes, that is so important to you know have a goal to reach for because if, if you're just aimlessly going through life, that's that's not good. No, obviously it's not, not good. You can't be doing that. But but like you said, not being so stuck and rigid in your ways of how to get to that point. And recognizing like, oh, there's a bunch of different paths that I can take. Like, oh, oh yeah. look at this opportunity. Let's maybe go down this road and see where it takes me. And having that open mindset, oh my God, dude, like I, it's helped me so much being, just being open-minded and like even this rock climbing experience, you've probably seen me yeah, post a couple yeah. of videos there. Bro, if you told me a year ago that I'd be working at a rock climbing gym, I'd be like, what? I didn't even know one existed. Yeah. But just because, you know, networking, I met some people, it ended up working perfectly for schedules and everything. I can't say no to this opportunity because it's going to help. Yeah. It's going to help me so much learn about how the body moves on the wall. You know, this, this different type of athlete, that's not like a football player, not mm -hmm. like a basketball player. It's, it's completely different. And think of all the things that I'm learning through that Avenue. And maybe that's not where I want to go for the rest of my life, but that's going to set me up for success in the future if it's not going to happen right now oh yeah 100 percent, man you, you can't you can't plan or predict these things like, yeah i mean you probably feel the same way i mean you just kind of said it like looking a year ago like imagining that you'd be where you are now i i know for me there's yeah. no shot you know i i did not think i'd be working at the kind of company i'm working for doing what i'm doing in social media having like i man i would have never thought that especially you know i started my instagram it's april so I feel like a couple of weeks from now, probably be the one year anniversary at the start of wow. May. Man, to think I'd be here now, yeah. there's no way. I would have never predicted that, you know? Yeah. And um, you just kind of have to like, again, just, just flow with where life is going, not be so rigid, but also just gotta be smart about the decisions you make, man. Because I realize for people that I've seen, even for myself, like how making the wrong decision, unfortunately, can, can stick with you. And that's, kind of the sad cruelty of our world but like you 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 can get punished for those things if you don't if you're not careful so yeah yeah absolutely well andre man this has been a great conversation bro absolutely like man. so 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 grateful you were able to come in today man anything else you want to talk about or you know anything else you wanted to, to touch on any topics no i think we covered some some really important topics awesome. and i like that this conversation was more so about mindset and and gratitude just things that I don't feel like I get the opportunity to talk about enough. You know, I'm either talking about capacity modeling or I'm talking yeah. about how to build bigger biceps, right? right so like right. this part of myself, this self-reflective part of myself that is very important to who I am, like it doesn't get as much um, airtime opportunity to present itself. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do that. Absolutely, bro. And that's that was kind of the whole goal behind this podcast. I feel like there's this space that isn't filled within the podcasting realm of just being open and talking and and not really just talking about business or you know talking yeah. about even just if it's like just focused on mindset stuff i wanted to focus on everything because everything is so important you're such a complex individual you have yeah. all these things that make you who you are why not talk about that why not dive into those topics so like I said, man, I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram, yeah. YouTube, all that stuff. So yeah, you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Gains by Dre. Uh, Instagram, unfortunately, is an underscore behind it because uh, the guy that owns Gains by Dre hasn't posted in like 20 years, oh, but bastard. still has the handle. Uh, 
either way, Gainsbridge, you'll find me there. Um, and then if you are interested in applying for one-on-one coaching, I'm still taking clients. So um, you can apply at gainsbydreacoaching.com. Awesome, bro. Andre, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for listening, everybody. Peace. Peace out. Yeah.